Sorry, Gary. Shouldn't have walked in front of that. Well, how many of you like TV courtroom dramas? Okay. So what's your favorite one? Yell it out. Perry Mason. Somebody's old out there. Perry Mason. Law and Order. Uh, CSI LA, CSI New York, CSI Miami, CSI Chandler. I don't know. They're all out there. The Good Wife, Boston Legal, Matlock, LA Law. I mean, I love courtroom dramas. It's one way to get the real scoop. The real skinny, the truth, to get the facts straight. I heard about a grandfather who wanted to see how much his four-year-old granddaughter knew about the Easter story. So he put her up on his lap, and he said, Julie, why do we celebrate Easter? Without hesitating, she said, well, Jesus was crucified. After he died, his body was put in a grave. They rolled a big stone in front of the opening. A bunch of soldiers guarded the tomb. On the third day, there was a big earthquake, and the stone rolled away. Grandpa was impressed and pleased with how much his granddaughter knew about the Easter story. But then she continued, When the earthquake happened, the entire town came out of the grave. And then, if Jesus came out and saw his shadow, they knew there would be six more weeks of winter. Now, at least she had part of the story right. But it's important to get the facts straight, especially at Easter. And I want to ask you today for your help. I want to ask you to serve as a jury. Imagine the stadium here at Arizona uh, College Prep. And by the way, we want to thank the folks at Arizona College Prep. They've been wonderful to us to allow us to host this service today. But this is the courtroom. And each of you are in the jury box. And you get to decide about the resurrection. Was it real or was it a hoax? You get to decide. When we're done with the evidence this morning... I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes or no. I believe or I don't believe. And I want you, each one of you, to have a part in making that determination. So, okay, here's my opening argument. Argument. Let me pose for you a question. Did Jesus of Nazareth, who lived on this planet 2,000 years ago, and that's absolutely verifiable, did Jesus of Nazareth do what the Bible says he did? Did he rise from the grave? The issue before the court this morning is not a crime. It's a claim. A claim so spectacular and so crucial that it is either the cornerstone of Christianity or it is its fatal flaw. Members of the jury, each one of you, the claim is that Jesus Christ, not just in spirit, but in physical body, in his real flesh, rose from the dead. The resurrection is the supreme miracle of Christianity. It's at the very heart of our faith. If it never happened, Christianity collapses into mythology, and billions of people over the last 2,000 years have been deceived. If it did happen, if it did happen, then it authenticates everything Jesus not only did, but everything he said. And those who believe have the guarantee, listen to this, the guarantee of forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So this question really matters. So, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, deliberate carefully. You will be the judge and the jury. Now, let me say this as strongly as the Apostle Paul said it 
in 1 Corinthians 15, 17. He said this, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. The resurrection is either the most heartless and vicious hoax ever, or it is the most remarkable fact of history. You get to decide. This morning I will attempt to show you overwhelming proof that Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. That on the third day after his crucifixion, he rose from the dead. Luke, who was one of his followers, was also a very well-educated physician. This is what Luke said. After his suffering, he showed himself to those men and women and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. And that's what I'd like to show you this morning. Present three pieces of evidence, and there are hundreds of others, that will convince you that the story of the resurrection is absolutely true without question. So here we go. Exhibit A, the empty tomb. The first piece of evidence that I'd like to give to you is the empty tomb. The Bible teaches that after professional executioners crucified Jesus, and by the way, these people were skilled at killing people and killing them ruthlessly. So this was not just somebody up there trying to figure out how to make Jesus die. These are professional executioners. After they crucified Jesus, his corpse was placed in a solid rock tomb. After his body was covered with about 75 pounds of spices, it was extensively wrapped in linen cloth, and then it was watered down. So it became like, like a cast, like plaster of Paris. Then a very large stone, estimated to weigh about two tons, was then rolled in front of the entrance to the tomb. After this, the boulder was in place. A contingent of up to 16 Roman soldiers was assigned to um, secure the tomb. We don't know how many that were there, but it could have been up to 16. Now, some of the pictures of the scene that you've seen are two guys in miniskirts with spears. That's not it. These people were human fighting machines. These gladiators were trained to protect the area around the tomb against an entire battalion if necessary. Romans, Matthew 27, 66 tells us that in addition to the Roman guards, they put a tamper-proof official Roman seal on the stone. Anyone who happened to make it past the Roman soldiers would then have to break the seal, thus incurring the wrath of all of Rome and Caesar. Now, in spite of these precautions, the stone, the soldiers, and the seal, the tomb was empty on the first, Christi, first Easter morning. When the first disciples arrived to peer in the tomb, they saw only one thing, blood-stained burial clothes. The empty tomb is exhibit A, powerful testimony to the resurrection. Critics have not been able to refute this, any critics. Now, they come up with other theories. One of the theories, the most persistent theories about the empty tomb, was that the disciples themselves came back and took Jesus out of the tomb and hid his body. Well, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Remember, these are the disciples that when Jesus was crucified, they disappeared. They chickened out. They were nowhere to be found. In fact, we find them huddled in an upper room in Jerusalem. And while they're in the upper room, they were in there and they were terrified, the Bible says, because they thought the Romans were going to come and crucify them just like they crucified Jesus. So this group of, of scaredy cats, there's no way that they were going to go there, overcome this powerful Roman army, move a two-ton boulder, and then dispose of the body. I mean, there's no way they would do that. And then on top of that, manufacture a myth? No, these guys could not have possibly have done that. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Christianity rises or falls with the empty tomb. It is the one silent and infallible witness. Critics cannot explain it away. Where's the body? Leaders of every other religion died and stayed dead. Bones decaying in the ground. Jesus claimed he would be raised. And that's exactly what he did. Exhibit number A, the empty tomb. Men and women of the jury, I'd like now to enter as evidence exhibit B. Multiple witnesses. The early Christians did not believe that Jesus had risen just because of the empty tomb. They believed that Jesus had risen because they saw him with their own eyes. When they talked to others about Jesus, they did not say, we found an empty tomb. They said, we saw Jesus. The most outstanding proof that Jesus rose from the dead is that more than 515 eyewitnesses saw him on 12 different occasions. Acts 1-3 says, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and women and gave many convincing proofs he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. He made an appearance to a woman at the cemetery. Later the same day, he walked through a closed door and talked with the frightened disciples. In the evening, he walked side by side with two men as they were on their road to Emmaus. He appeared to believers and doubters. He appeared to tough-minded people and tender-hearted souls. Several people saw him on more than one occasion. Some saw him alone. Others saw him in large groups, sometimes at night, sometimes in the day. The Apostle Paul, when writing a letter to a group of new Christians, laid it all out, and he said this, For I received what I passed on to you as the first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. When I was 16 years old, I, my dad helped me purchase a 1959 Plymouth station wagon. Some of you old timers out there would go, oh man, that's a cool car. It had a push-button transmission, 418 horsepower. It was just an amazing amazing car. But one of the reasons my dad helped me buy that car is because it was the only car that we had that would pull our little ski boat. So I was 16 years old. I was excited to drive my car. My dad fitted the car for a, uh, with a trailer hitch. We put the boat on. And that evening, we were going to go down, gas it up, see how it pulled, and then go fishing the next day. Well, as we were going down the hill, this, we lived in Southern California in a rural community uh, in, near, in San Diego. And we're going down from this hill about three miles down. And as I was driving down, I, it seemed like out of nowhere, all of a sudden there was a car right in front of me going the opposite direction. To this day, I can still see his face as he passes me. And he, I swerved as hard as I could to the right. He went right by me and he hit the boat behind me. And after that, he hit a truck that was directly behind me. And it killed him instantly. I pulled the car over to the side of the road and I was literally shaking. I was trembling. I didn't know what was going on. I said, I said, Daddy, did I do something wrong? What did I do? Should should there have been something else? I I don't know what I did. Did I do something wrong? My dad said, son, you did everything you were supposed to. You saw him right at the moment you did. You jerked to the right. There's nothing else you could have done. So we're sitting there at the side of the road. The car's there. The boat and the trailer are disengaged, but they're in a yoke behind the car. And finally, the police arrive. And the policeman hears my story. And he says, you know what, son, I'm going to have to give you a ticket and let the judge decide whether or not this is what happened because I can't tell whether it was your fault or his fault. And then somebody in a crowd had gathered at this point. Somebody said, I saw everything. It's exactly like the kid said. 
And then somebody else said, you know what? That's exactly what I saw too. He didn't have a chance. This car didn't have his headlights on. He pulled out and, and it just it happened so fast there was no chance. And then another person and another. I saw it. I saw it. I, six witnesses came up to the police officer and said, we saw it. And it's just like the kid said. At that point, the officer said to me, he said, son, it's obvious that you didn't do anything wrong. I'm not going to ticket you. You're not going to get in trouble. And he walked away. That was six eyewitnesses. Absolute proof. Undeniable proof. What if you had 515 witnesses? What if you had all of those witnesses who were willing to stake their lives on the fact that Jesus Christ was alive? Who would be unconvinced? Friends, that's how strong the case for the resurrection is. Over 500 individuals were willing to testify that they had seen the resurrected Christ. Later, one of the disciples, Peter, was preaching the first time he ever preached. And this was maybe um, 45 to 50 days after the resurrection. And as he was preaching, a a crowd had gathered in Jerusalem, okay, in Jerusalem, where it happened. So they knew whether or not these witnesses were lying or not. And it happened there. And when Peter preached the message of God's love for these people, the Bible says that 3,000 people that day gave their hearts to Christ. 3,000 people, based on the testimony of 515 people, 3,000 people said, it must be true. He must be alive. He must be my Savior. He must be the Messiah. And I give my heart and my life to Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Exhibit B, multiple witnesses. One last exhibit. And that last exhibit is this. Changed lives. Not only were those 3,000 people transformed that day when Peter preached, you heard Bree's story. You heard her story. You've heard the story in songs that we have sung. You've heard the story how that Christ wants to literally transform you from a life that is broken and hurting. And God says, I promise you that this is the most important of the exhibits, changed lives. After the crucifixion, the disciples gathered all scared, terrified, filled with fear and hopelessness. They gathered in the upper room. Jesus appeared in that locked room. And remember, they were afraid whether or not he was go- they were going to be crucified with Jesus. He appeared in, the upper, in, that, in that locked room. And then in John 20, it says this about that specific scene. Here's what it says. On the evening of that first day of the week, that was Easter Sunday evening, when the disciples were together with the doors locked out of fear, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands where the, the scars from the uh, nails were. He showed them the side where the spear had been thrust. He showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, these scared rabbits, these terrified followers of Christ, thought he was dead, thought their hopes were dead. They gathered together, huddled together, fearful. What do we do? When Jesus appeared, two things happened to them. They received peace and they received joy. How is it possible that we turn these terrified men into this amazing witness that changed the world 2,000 years ago and has changed it for all eternity. There are over 2 billion people in our world today that name the name of Christ. There have been over 20 billion people in the last 2,000 years who have said yes to God. How is it possible that these scared rabbits could have done that? I'll tell you why. Because they knew and they saw and they touched and they believed that Jesus Christ was alive. 
What motivated, motivated them to go from fearful, hopeless cowards to world changers? What motivated, motivated them to go from doubt to determination, from confusion to conviction, from fear to faith? If you want to know about these 12 men, one of them replaced Judas. So I think you know that story. These 12 men, you want to know about them? All they had to do was say, no, no, it didn't really happen. Leave me alone. Every one of them, except one, John, every one of them gave their hearts for their faith. Listen to this. Matthew was killed in Ethiopia. Mark was dragged through the streets until he was dead. Peter, Simeon, Andrew, and Philip were crucified. James was beheaded. Bartholomew was flayed alive. Don't ask. Thomas was pierced with lances. James the less was thrown from the temple and stoned to death. Jude was shot to death with arrows. Paul was boiled in hot oil and beheaded. How is it possible that these 12 men, if it was a hoax, if it wasn't real, how is it possible that they all gave their lives for the good news of Jesus Christ? Because all they would have to do when somebody's ready to kill them, all they'd have to do is say, he is dead. But they couldn't because he wasn't. Changed lives. Transformed lives past two, by the past 2,000 years, billions of people have given their hearts to Christ. Jesus Christ is alive. I know that. Bree knows that. Many of you know that. In fact, I just want to do this real quickly. If, you, if your life has been transformed by the power of the good news of Jesus Christ, I don't want a lot of people to do this. Would you just stand where you are? Just testify to it. Say, whoa, 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 that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. God bless you. If you want to know about somebody's transformed, you talk to one of these people. It's happened to every single one of them. So here's my closing argument. I would now like to say, as a closing argument, that this evidence, the empty tomb, the hundreds of eyewitnesses and changed lives is all that we need to know. But you need to ask one other question, each one of you here today. And that question is this. So what? What difference does it make in my life? Who cares if... Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. What difference does that make in my life? Let me tell you in closing what difference it makes in your life. The resurrection of Jesus answers the question of loneliness. Does anyone care about me? Do I matter? The resurrection proves that you matter deeply to God because when Jesus died for your sins, if you had been the only person on the earth, he would have died for your sins and your sins alone. The resurrection answers the question of loneliness. The resurrection answers the question of weakness. Like, Bree, how can I find the power to change? Why can't I break these bad habits or these addictions? Why can't I do that? The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that gave those 12 men the ability to change the world in the next 100 years for all time, the same God can change your life and give you life that will always make your life full and rich and beautiful. The resurrection answers the question of guilt. How do I get rid of guilt for all I've done? You might say, you don't know my life, Pastor Duane. I'm worse than Bree. I'm worse than you. I would say to you, there is nothing worse that is bigger or more effective than the blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross for you. Nothing is more powerful than the blood of Jesus that he shed for you. The resurrection is the final proof that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus as your sin substitute. Jesus took your sins and died in your place. And you can be forgiven because he paid for your sins. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
One last question. The resurrection answers the question of death. What happens when I die? Because of what Jesus did, you can know, not think or believe, you can know that there is life beyond the grave. It's not just theory. It's proven reality. Because Jesus is alive, death will never, please hear this, death will never have the last word in your life. You can live forever. Friend, you can't sit in judgment forever. The evidence for the resurrection is both overwhelming and relevant to our lives. The evidence demands a verdict. And it's time to make a decision. It's time to encounter the living Christ for yourself. It's time to open your heart to believe in his love. It's time to say yes I believe in Jesus. Peter and John, when they went to the empty tomb, the Bible says they saw and believed. That word for saw in the original language means an inner light that leads to a conclusion. In other words, for John and Peter, the light went on. How about you this morning? Has the light gone on for you? If so, the next step is to believe. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me for a prayer?